listening to First Church Charlotte. Starting a series today entitled Out of the Dark. I spoke with someone recently and they mentioned to me how the last year, actually the last year plus, has felt like being trapped in a, a dark place, trapped in a cave. And they didn't know where to start. They just felt like, and here's the key thing, that things would never be good again. Things would never be healthy again. They would be stuck in this place. And uh, right around that same time, actually a little before that, my wife came to me and, you guys don't know my wife like I know her. My wife has a gift of faith. It's just she doesn't like carry it around and announce it for everybody. Uh, but she's consistently been a voice in my my, I expect you to be nice to me later today, just so you know. Uh, she's been a voice of faith in my life, and uh, she, she was thinking and praying, and she said, I think we need to do a, do, I think you, she always gets a word for the Lord on things I need to do. <laughs> and uh, she said, I think you need to do a series on coming out of the dark. And so uh, this happened all at the same time, and it came together, and uh, I, I, I just, here we are. So um, I want to, talk about in this first lesson, I'm going to talk about uh, coming out from crushing stress, the darkness of crushing stress. Um, I thought about starting today with all the ways stress can kill you. <laughs> um, the research literature is ridiculous. It's unbelievable just how stress kills. Like, for example, I was shocked to learn that in um, most mammals, uh, if you increase their stress enough, uh, this has been shown repeatedly in uh, test mice, but if you increase the stress on them, they will all develop diabetes. It, they get such a massive amount of cortisol in their body that they will lose their insulin sensitivity and they will develop, they will develop diabetes just from stress. Stress kills. It damages your heart. It increases your chance of stroke risk by 300%. Um, now, we're not just talking about the stress of life. We're talking about the debilitating, crushing stress of an individual who is unsure whether or not they can make it. I want to be the first voice in your life. Those of you living in pain, I want to be the first voice in, this, in your life to say this. You can make it. Yes. Because God is with you. You are not alone. Amen. His word is with you. His presence is with you. He's as close as the mention of his name. And if all you can do is in the quiet of your pain whisper, Jesus, 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 you'll find that the first step to getting to a better place is calling upon the name of the Lord. Praise God, somebody. Stress kills, and not only that, stress, stress instigates habits that are damaging to you, and so now it's not just the stress killing you, it's the bad habit that is killing you. Stress will introduce a subject called stress eating. Now, I want you to know I already have a stress eating problem. It just gets worse when I'm under stress. <laughs> 
stress eating is a, a bad habit, and it will uh, work against you. In the same manner, a lot of addictions, a lot of self-harm, where people destroy their own life, is a direct result of unmanaged stress in their life. And I, I want to, if the Lord will help me, if the Lord will use me, I want to put an invitation to everyone here today. It's the will of the Lord for you to come out of the darkness of crushing stress. It's the will of the Lord for you to make progress against the crushing stress of your life. You are not alone in your stress. No one, I want to show you, knew more about crushing stress than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, He knew physical stress. Uh, It's normal for us to uh, deeply understand physical stress because life is stressful, yes? Uh, If you have to uh, work with very little sleep, you'll feel that stress accumulate in your body. If you go long enough without sleep, you'll notice that you're not really yourself anymore. You're not near as sweet and kind as you once were. You say, oh, I need Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus might tell you to take, get a good night's sleep. It's not, he's done, he did that with several people in the scripture. <laughs> um, you understand what I'm saying? The stress grinds and it breaks us. And Jesus knew physical stress. There were times in his life and ministry where the stress was so great that he hid from the need that surrounded him. Now, I want to give you an example of what that means in ministry. When you get to the point where the need is so overwhelming that something has to give and you know you are next. And Jesus had the wisdom. Sometimes we don't have that wisdom. Jesus had the wisdom to say, we're going to draw apart because you can't give something you don't have. And so here you see Jesus managing physical stress. Uh, More than that, Jesus knew the pain of people lying about him, Uh, people meaning well but uh, misunderstanding his mission, his calling, people renouncing him, people threatening his life, people betraying him. He knew the stress of his own family not understanding him. If you read the Gospel of Mark, it almost seems as though his mother comes, and this is the passage where Jesus, as it were, says that my family is the ones who do the will of God, and he will not receive his mother, um, and yet he does not abandon her. So if you read that scripture as if to say, uh, I have no obligation for my family, you misunderstand it because the last thing Jesus does before he passes is make provision for his mother. It wasn't about his duty his relationships, his role. It was about this sense that he was committed. He was absolutely committed to something perhaps that she, being a good member of the synagogue, would struggle to understand. You can almost imagine, and we don't know this, but it would be a very human thing to have happen where the rabbi talks to Mary, his mother, and he's saying some things that are abominations. He is saying he's the son of God, and would you talk to him or you calm him down. And the family kinds, you know, has an intervention. And, and not only that, if you read the language of Mark, it almost sounds like his family was afraid that he had mental health issues and he was making a great big mess. They do not believe while he's alive. It's, it's not just you who have been rejected. It's not just me who 
have been rejected. Rejection is part of the human experience, and all of us feel on some level or another our inability to satisfy people, our inability to be enough for people. Uh, and then when they, you know, we, it's, we experience it as pain. Uh, Jesus knew what that was. His own family didn't believe in him. One of the men he gave his life to mentor, Judas, was the key to entrapping Jesus and betraying him to the enemy, uh, or to his enemies, I should say. But the reality of stress in Jesus' life, to be understood, I think, must be understood spiritually. You see, all of us have all of us have the normal stresses, and then some of us at different times of our life, we have very specific stresses, and our life can be very uh, uniquely painful. Um, you prob- some of you know what I- I'm talking about. But we see through a glass darkly. Oftentimes, we can be in a spiritual struggle, and because we don't understand it, we, we just kind of have a let's just keep on keeping on mentality. But Jesus understood not just what was happening. He understood the spiritual consequences of what was happening. And the result of that is there is two pictures in the Bible that are so filled with pain and stress that if, if I were a poet and I could write with the most beautiful words and language possible, I could not do it justice. Or if I was a songwriter, writer, and I could write the most melancholy, uh, agonizing song imaginable. I could not do it justice. There's two images that show Jesus under the very diamond point of crushing stress. The first is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where as he faces the burden of his calling, as he faces the agony of his redemptive role, his stress goes to such an intense level that he begins to bleed through his skin and the capillaries, this is a medical phenomenon, the capillaries, as it were, begin to bleed without wound and he sweats blood. This is so rare that it is the very apex of human capability to bear that kind of stress. And here is Jesus under the crushing anvil of his redemptive duty and call, sweating blood, saying to his father, the flesh, to the spirit, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. Uh, The second picture is the picture of him on the cross. And it is here that they put him in the maximum pain that is perhaps experienceable by the human body. Um, uh, Some of your densest nerve networks are in your hands and in your feet. And as a result of that, if you hurt your hands or your feet, uh, you will discover that it... (laughs) Uh, it is it is a uniquely sensitive uh, area of your body, and so when they crucify Jesus, they take spikes and drive it through his hands, and they take spikes and they drive it through his feet, and then they pinion him against the sky on this cross that holds him. Why are you here, Jesus? Because he has become the cursed one of sin, who is going to 
pay the price of every dumb thing I've ever, ever done, every bad attitude you've ever had, every lie I've ever told, ever, every bad spirit you've ever uh, uh, indulged. He is going to bear it at that moment. And the physical pain I want to show to you because of the sheer intensity of it, the sheer soul-breaking stress of it. You see, he hangs from his hands to relieve his feet, but on the cross, you don't die of blood loss. You die of the constriction of your lungs by the muscles that are being held uh, in the air. And so as you weaken, as you weaken, uh, the muscles pull tighter and tighter on your lungs. You breathe shallower and shallower, and your blood sats, your oxygen sats, I should say, start dropping until you know you're, you're, you are gasping for breath. And so you have a choice to make. At that point, you get to choose between air and pain. And if you'll take the pain and push up on the nails in your feet and pull with the nails in your hands, you will give yourself air. But you're in a difficult catch-22. You either can have maximum pain or you can breathe. You can have maximum pain or you can breathe. And so you start trying to meter yourself where you suffer as much as you can and you get as much air as you can and then you sag back down to relieve your feet. And this happens over and over and over as the hours pass. And the pain of the suffering gets to an apex point upon uh, the accursed individual crucified on a tree. And yet this is not what kills Jesus. There's something that is perhaps worse than the physical nerves in the body because there is a a finite limit to nerves. There comes the maximum pain that the nerve can sustain and after that is a type of madness, a type of blur, a type of dreamlike condition where that's maximum pain and then the nerve is maxed out that cannot send any more pain. You are maxed out, but that's not what kills Jesus. That's not what kills him. Upon him comes spiritual weight of every sin that was ever committed, every rebellion that has ever been offered, every murder, every lie, every thief, every thieving, I should say, everything that has could happen. You see, he drank of the cup knowing how bitter it would be. And he said with every drink, this is how much I love you. I'll take your sin. I'll take your pain. I'll take your error. You see, God doesn't just love you when you're good enough to deserve it. He knew every mistake you were going to make, and he chose you. Is anybody hearing me here today? He knew every error you were going to make, and he chose you. And he said to every generation that is the very offspring of his creation, he said, I love you this much. You see me here choosing between pain and breath, pain and breath, until the weight of the world descends on him. And on that moment... His heart cannot take it, and it breaks. And Jesus does not die of blood loss. He does not die of strangulation. He dies of my sins. I got He dies of a broken heart. Two pictures, bleeding from his capillaries in the garden and dying of a broken heart in 
on Golgotha. So why am I preaching that? And admittedly, it's kind of a, a stressful, a heavy thing to consider. Why? Because I want to sell you on this idea. You are not going any, through anything that Jesus does not know how you feel. You are not facing any pain that Jesus is unqualified to speak to. He knows all about your troubles. And if you would believe that he could make a difference in your life, you would begin to see that the path out of your cave, whatever that cave may be, today we're talking about crushing stress, but whatever that cave may be, I want you to think of yourself as a spiritual Lazarus. And in the distance, you hear a voice calling, Lazarus! You want to come out of that cave? I need you to wiggle your way up in spite of your bondage. And I would like you to shuffle your way forward. You see, Lazarus, we've already opened the door. We've already made a way. I would just like you to baby step your way toward the light. Come on, somebody. This is the story of deliverance. Jesus endured maximum stress, and he came out from under that stress, and we learned from his life. I don't want to pretend like I'm the expert in stress. I'm not. I have stress like anyone, but I'm not the expert. I want to look at Jesus, because it's fine for me to think this and that, but that's not going to help you like me preaching Jesus to you. So I want to show you in the life of Jesus Christ four spiritual principles. I want you to get this, four spiritual principles. And learn from them, not just what the preacher thinks, but what is shown in how Jesus handled crushing stress. Because I believe it's the will of God for you to come out from under that crushing stress. I believe it's the will of God for tomorrow to be a new day of spiritual hope in your life. I believe some of you have carried your pain long enough. It's time for spiritual healing. Can I get a witness in this house? You have struggled with the pain of yesterday long enough. It's time for you to say, I'm leaving it at the cross. I'm standing in the promises of God. Oh, come on, somebody. Will you claim it with me right now? I'm coming out of that cave in Jesus' name. The first principle is this. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? This is the spiritual principle of identification. Jesus makes it very clear that he knows who he is. I'm going to give you uh, referencing mainly the book of John because I think nobody does a better job expressing this than the gospel writer John. He writes in chapter number 8, verse number 12, Jesus speaking, I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says in chapter number 10, verse number 9, I am the door. Say it with me. I am the door. Do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you, he is your door to eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter number 14, verse number 6, I am the way. If you know it, say it with me. I am the way, the truth and the life. It does not sound to me like Jesus is having an identity crisis. It sounds like to me he has settled something. He knows who he is. Chapter number 10, verse number 11, I am the good 
shepherd. And he knows what the good shepherd does, which is what? Lays down his life for the sheep. And finally, verse 36, what does Jesus say? I am God's son. Jesus knew who he was. (laughs) Why do I say that to you? The first principle of handling stress in your life is you need to figure out who you are. This is to live spiritual identity. This is to settle in your life spiritual identity. Jesus says this, John 8, verse 18, I know who I am. I testify. Somebody say, I testify. I know who I am. I testify of myself. Why does this matter? Why does Jesus show us this in repeated passages of Scripture? And why is it critically important for you to get this? Because if you don't know who you are, someone will tell you who they think you are. If you don't know who you are, you will let other people subconsciously manipulate you into who they think you are, pressure you into believing that you're somebody you aren't, and the result of this will be a life of crushing stress where the only way you can make sense of all of the differing opinions in your life is for you to live a life of masks. You're one thing to one person. You're something else to someone else. And this life of masks feels like a life of crushing stress because on the other side of any double life is a crushed soul. And the result of this double lives, living behind masks, being unreal with others, or trying to pretend that we're somebody that we are not, is a lived experience of real insecurity. We need to know who we are. I'm going to tell you how you can know that in just a moment. We let other people manipulate us, pressure us, and we end up with everybody's assurance of who we are except who we really are. And the stress builds and the pressure builds. And we need to answer the question of who am I? Let me tell you the best way of determining uh, who you are. Are you ready for this? I'm getting ready to lay it on you. (laughs) I know who I am by knowing whose I am. Say it with me. I know who I am by knowing whose I am. Let me speak for all of you. Maybe heavy and broken and and weary. Let me speak for all of you. You are a child of God. He chose you. He died for you. You're not just loved when you're good enough. He chose you. He died for you. He chose you. He died for you. The only reason why you have hope is because Christ chose you chose you. When you didn't know anything, he chose you. You are a child of God. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says about you. doesn't matter who your family thinks you are. This is what matters. Who does God say you are? God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God has a big investment in you. You might say God is the biggest investor of you. Fill in the blank. Write your name down. Say God's the biggest investor in this guy right here. Come on, somebody right now, point at your chest. Say God is the biggest investor in this soul right here. 
God is the, come on, I want to hear you say it. God's the biggest investor in this. Per- Nobody has done for you what God has done for you. The very breath in your lungs, that's God's gift. The very breath in your lungs, that's God's gift. The electricity in your brain, that's God's gift. I tell my son and daughter all the time when I'm griping at them, I want more of this and less of that. I say, now look here, I'm the biggest investor in the Make Durant Great Project, and I demand a return on my investment. I don't let him feel sorry for himself. I say, no, I'm the biggest investor. What have you put into it? You've just put a little bit into it. Come on. I'm the biggest. I'm just having fun. You know what I'm talking about. If I can say that and you can say that to your kids, how much more is your heavenly father looking at you facing the next test saying, I hope they rise to the challenge this time. I'm not kicking them out if they don't. I'm not rejecting them if they don't, but I hope they're ready to take a step to a higher level. I hope they're ready to rebuke that fear in Jesus' name. I hope they're ready to step out of darkness. All right, I got to move along. I'm getting carried away here, and I blame my wife because this is all her idea anyway. Second step out of darkness, you need to know who you're trying to please. You need to know who you are trying to please. John 5, verse number 30. Jesus says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The principle is this. You've got to know who you're trying to please. Why? You can't please everybody. It's impossible. It doesn't mean you're uniquely hated if you can't please everybody. There's no sense sucking our thumb over a very human reality. You just can't please everybody. But that doesn't mean you're not trying to please somebody. You just need to know who you are trying to please. This matters. You need to know this. Even God can't please everybody. One group is praising him. The other group is cursing him. One group is waving palm branches. The other group is plotting murder. They all claim to be religious. How do you know? Well, you're going to have to leave it with God. You're going to have to leave that with God, and you're going to have to ask yourself this question, who am I trying to please? Jesus says repeatedly that he only says what his father gives him to say. He says, I'm trying to please, and he says again, the Godhead, the flesh, the manifest, holy flesh of God, moving by the infinite spirit that is above all and all and through you all. I can deal about that another time, but I want you to see Jesus' words repeatedly and all the gospels. I am seeking to please my father. And the father was pleased. That's why when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and the spirit of the Lord speaks. And what does God, the eternal spirit that is above all, through all and in you all, what does it? he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is what I refer to a lot when you hear me say things like this about God. I am you, yours and you are mine. It's not enough for me to be pleased.
pleased in you. I want you to be pleased in me. True spiritual fellowship is not one way. It is a giving and a receiving, a giving and a receiving. It is spiritual life. If you don't know who you are trying to please, hear me. If you don't know who you're trying to please, you're going to cave in to three things. The first thing you're going to cave into is a criticism. You're going to cave into criticism because you're concerned about what other people think of you. You haven't settled what you are trying to do. The second thing that is going to, you will cave into is competition. You won't know exactly why you're living. And when you don't know why you're living, all you can think to do is to compete with the people around you. That's why real mature Christians have to lay the sense of competition with others at an altar and get out of that business altogether. Because when you say, I'm trying to do better than so-and-so, what you're really saying is, I'm not sure what I'm trying to do. I'll just compete with my neighbor. God, save us from that. This is not spiritual maturity, and we all need to grow spiritually. We don't always need to be God's rescue project. There comes a time where we need to be discipled. We need to be strengthened, and now we're able to carry someone else, not just be carried. Oh, I, I, I better move along. I'm getting, I'm meddling. All right, so the second thing is competition. It's a result of not knowing who you're trying to please. Number three, the third thing that will cause you to cave in in your calling and mission is conflict because you're threatened by the people who disagree with you. You suffer from criticism, you fall into competition, and you shy from conflict because you don't know what you're trying to do. You don't know who you're trying to please. Let me tell you, there's a better way. It's a spiritually mature way, and Jesus models it for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is Jesus talking. And all the necessary things of life will be added unto you. The first step out of darkness is simply knowing who you are. The second step out of darkness is knowing who you're trying to please. The third step out of the darkness of this crushing stress that I'm preaching about is knowing what you are trying to accomplish. What am I trying to accomplish? Again, this isn't just some philosophy that Pastor Nate dreamt up. Let me give you some evidence from the life of Christ. Jesus' words, John 8 and 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I am going. He is talking about past and he is talking about future. He knows the heart of God and he knows the mission of God. This is what every strong believer has to gain. This is what all of us must have. If we only know the, the, the as shall we say, the, the past, if we only know, then most of our religion will feel like a type of nostalgia. Most of our devotion will feel like a type of sentiment. And we'll spend a lot of time kind of remembering what God has done. It's important to know where we come, came from. But if that's where you are living, uh, it is natural for you to experience the lost past as depression. However, if you are living in the future and you are claiming a a future you have not lived, it comes with hopes and dreams. And a psychologist would teach you that if you're living in the future, you're suffering from anxiety. 
the only chance for peace in your life is to see the past and see the future and then say, I am in the here and now. I'm taking one step today. I am taking one action today. But Jesus, he is able to connect. Why? Because he is God and thou art not. (laughs) He is able to connect what God has done the heart, the past, the the investment of God with the mission, the purpose, the mercy of God in one continuous life that was lived in our stead. I know where I come from and I know where I am going. This is the spiritual principle number three. You need to know what you are trying to accomplish. If you do not know what you are trying to accomplish, you'll never know if you're accomplishing anything. If you do not define what a win actually is, I have bad news for you. You will never win. You have to define what a win is so you can celebrate when you win. And if you don't celebrate when you win, you're not being biblical. Even God did six days of good work and then said, my God, we need to have a party up in here. It's a biblical thing to rest and celebrate a good thing. And so it is if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, you won't know whether or not you have accomplished anything. Know what you want to accomplish. Jesus says, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. He does not, he is not surprised by Calvary. He accepts it and he turns his face as a flint before it. Unless you plan your life, unless you decide your priorities, unless you fight for your values, you will be pressured by other people to do what they think is important, what they think you should do. Every day you either set priorities or you live by pressures. You either choose values or you are subject to manipulation. You are always embracing the important or running ahead of the urgent. You need to know what it is you are trying to do. There is no other option for you. You must decide what you are trying to accomplish. And the moment you begin to do this, you feel the crushing stress in your life to begin to lift off of your shoulders, which leads you, as our our musicians come. It leads you to the fourth step out from crushing stress. Again, not my opinion. This is the life of Jesus Christ shown to us, testified and written down by the gospel writers that we can learn from. And this fourth principle is to give your stress to God. Give your stress to Christ. This is the spiritual principle of surrender. Somebody say it with me. Surrender. Say it again. Surrender. You're probably not as good at surrender as you think you are. I know I'm not as good at it as I think I am. I think I've given it to the Lord and then I wake up in the middle of the night and it's right there knocking on my heart door saying, hey, you want to you want, you spend some time together? Maybe we could have some coffee. I know I'm the only one. This never happens to you. I'm not near as good at surrender as I like to pretend I am. I like to think it's one and done, but honey, it's 49 and mine. But surrender is a spiritual principle so important that Jesus himself walks it and lives it and shows it to all of us on how we should live. Now let me, having introduced you to the fact that Jesus is going to show us, let me show you one more story uh, and then we'll end with Jesus' 
epic, glorious, powerful, righteous surrender to God, to the will of God. I want to remind you of Luke 15 and the picture of a young man who has decided his father's way is not his own way. And he tells his father, look, give me whatever you have to give me. I'm going to go live my own life. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And he takes what his father gives him. His father was very gracious uh, to give to him. Uh, most of your dads would have said, what? Get out of my face. I know my dad would have said that. He would have been, what? I ain't giving you nothing. You get up out of here before I slap you for your own health. How many of you had a dad like that? You know what I'm talking about? Hmm. Yeah, y'all pray for my dad. He needs Jesus. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm just cutting up. And so, um, uh, very gracious father. Uh, he gives it to him. One of the things we need to give our children is grace. We don't teach them really about the heart of God when we give them law. But kids need law. Don't get me wrong. I give my kids law. And uh, I don't care if they begrudge it. All you beautiful suckers down here, you need some rules. You can't imagine the mess you'd make without some rules. Hmm. Moving along in spite of the lack of amens from right here. Um, but we teach kids about God when we give them grace. Uh, that's why uh, we never give up on young Christians in our church. We never give up on young Christians. I know sometimes people think, well, they're not doing good at this. They're not doing good. We're never giving up on them. Why? God never gave up on us. Never given up on them. Never given up on them. We're never giving up on young people. I know you guys are so cool, you don't know what to do with yourself, but we're never giving up on young people. Uh, they're not worth less after they embarrass themselves. They're worth just as much after they embarrass themselves as they did, were before they. We don't have a sliding scale of if they're good enough, then, then we love them. No, we just love them all. That doesn't mean they don't need improvement. Hmm, if y'all like to write that down, just let that be a blessing to you. Doesn't mean there are things you need to stop doing. Hmm, just let that be a lesson to you. Um, I, I just want you to see that, that this, this prodigal son actually had a grace-filled father. His father gave him grace. Um, so he goes, and what does he do? He, he, he wastes everything, loses everything, and... Now he literally sinks down, 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 and he almost end up like he's a drug addict. Now I don't know if they had drugs back then like we do now. I know there's always been drugs, but it's almost like that look where you're on the street, you've got nothing, you're living with the pigs. I mean, this is as low as a brother can go. This is bad news right here. And, uh, and he decides, look, I'll go back home uh, and, and apply for a job because my father, what, what he'll, you know, I wasn't very good as a son. Maybe I'll be better as a servant. Maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need to be treated like a servant. And um, I'll just go back and apply for a job. I won't go back and ask to be his son. I'll just apply for a job. And, and this, is, this is submission. He realizes he is not going to be able to fix himself. He needs his father's help. He realizes he isn't a one-man walking solution to whatever it is within him that drives him. All of us are subject to, law, to, to urges, to desires, to fears, to insecurities that are very much a part of our personality. And we end up not knowing why we do things. Why did I say that? And listen, this is the deal. You have to let those urges that oftentimes reflect the broken parts of yourself turn you back to the one who can make you whole. 
That's another message. So he goes back home. What does he do? His plan is to submit himself, apologize, and just ask for a job. Where is the application for a job? Because I know you're just. And even if I'm an employee, I'm going to be treated better by you than anyone else. And he goes back, and much to his surprise, his father doesn't treat him like a servant. His father treats him like a son. This matters, my friend. This matters, my brother. This matters, my sister. When he stops trying to solve his wants and wishes and surrenders to the Father, then you see true change and you see worship celebration in heaven. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And so I want to show you that if Jesus himself had to surrender the crushing stress in his life and he had to surrender it to the Father. How much more do all of us have to surrender the crushing stress in our life to our, our Savior? And when we do that, we will find that He meets us with open arms, with lavish love, and He restores us not to a penury or a, um, a lower position where we deserve what we got, but he celebrates not who we were, not even who we are, but he celebrates who we can be. And that's what church must be. You must feel the presence of God in your life, celebrating who you could be. Amen. It's easy to see church as a force reminding you of who you're not. It's easy to see church as a force of rebuking you for who you are. Do you see? That's normal church. And a lot of times it's appropriate and good. Rebuke is from the Lord. Don't take it personal. It's an act of love from heaven. So, yes, there's an element of that. But if that's all you see, you won't stick it out. You can't just see a, a rebuke for what you've been. You can't just see a, a instruction toward what you should be. You must also see a, a celebration of who God says you can be. So all of you living in pain, all of you dealing with, with crushing stress, I want to give, give the promise of God to you. And I want to tell you this. God is with you. He's fighting for you. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned. You were created for spiritual community. That community is vertical with God and horizontal with other believers. The path out of the darkness of stress is to get that vertical relationship with God right and healthy and get that horizontal relationship with your brothers and sisters of faith right and healthy. If you'll do that, you will feel the darkness begin to fade in your life. You will feel the flame of hope begin to burn in your heart. Jesus lives a life of continual surrender. John 5, 19, most certainly I tell you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father doing. Whatever things he does, these the son also does. Luke gives the picture of Jesus in the garden, not my will but yours be done. And that second moment of maximum crushing stress, we're on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Somebody say maximum stress. This is crushing stress. This is crushing stress. You are not alone. This is soul crushing and heartbreaking stress. My God, my God, why? 
And at this moment, what do you see the Son of Man do? Into your hands. I commend my spirit. I'm not trying to tell you what shall be. I'm not trying to debate what's best. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. This is surrender to soul-crushing stress. Four steps. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who, number two, do you know who you're trying to please? Do you know what you're trying to do? That's number three. And number four, can you surrender all the pain, all the blood, all the heartache, all the disappointment? Can you surrender it to God? What is causing you to live in tension? Is there something that is that is hurting you and you want it, but you're afraid God won't give it to you? That's human. I do the same thing. You do the same thing. You want it so bad. You desire it, perhaps not even for yourself, but maybe even for the kingdom. And you wish this would happen and you wish this would happen and you really don't have control. And there's this surface struggle within you. And you wish and you want, but you know it's not up to you. What you have to do is say, all right, God, into your hands I place this situation into your hands I place this situation if you want me to be healthy let it be for your name's sake if you want me to limp when I walk like Jacob let it be for your name oh I'm preaching to somebody here today let it be for your name's sake if you want me on the mountaintop guess what we're gonna throw a mountaintop party but if you want me in the valley I'm gonna keep on walking because never stop in a dark dark valley I surrender I surrender four steps out of the black cave of crushing stress if Jesus had to do it being the son of God how much more do the rest of us need to know to establish to commit to embrace these principles spiritual principles of overcoming stress I'm preaching to somebody today I hope you can receive it in Jesus name stand with me all across the house Lord, I'm praying for every heart that's in this place. Oh God, we need you. There's none of us that are complete in ourselves, oh God. There's none of us that know how to deal with all of the pain, all of the disappointment that is a part of life. We're not special because we have pain. We're not, you know, some unique snowflake because we have pain. It's just part of the journey. It is part of the way. The rain falls on the good, the bad, the just, the unjust, the high, the low. Lord Jesus, but there can be something different about the believer. We can take our stress and give it to you, oh God. We can surrender outcomes that are beyond our control. We can surrender those outcomes to you. We can remind ourselves that we're not our own. We've been purchased by your blood and we can know who we are because we know whose we are. We can know who we're trying to please. We can remind ourselves that the people that cause us pain did not die for our sins. The people who reject us did not die for our sins. They are not the judge whereby we will be weighed. We can ask ourselves who we're trying to please and then we can say every day in personal devotion, I'm committed to pleasing you, oh God. If you are pleased with me, then that is enough. Number three, Lord Jesus, having done those things, we can decide what it is we are trying to accomplish. We can surrender our heart to your mission 
and we can make sure our biggest ambitions in our life are reflective of your heart and your mission. Not simply, not simply uh, our, our own preferences say or what we might think we need, but Lord, our heart is very much wrapped up in your mission and we're changed by your mission. And having done all of that, Lord, we can lay every pain at your feet, every broken spot of our souls, every wounded element of our psychology. We can give it to you, O oh God, for you are our healer. And there's a bomb in Gilead that can make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. I feel the presence of the Lord right now in this house. I feel the challenge of God in your spirit. And so I want to ask you to make a commitment. Would you make this week an intentional week of spiritual reflection where in prayer you ask God these four questions? And you then having asked, these are heavy questions. This was how, this is how Jesus taught. Now I know a lot of times in church we we use, particularly as preachers, we'll be kind of repetitive and we'll say and say and say almost like an of incantation uh, but Jesus's style was to give you a question so heavy that it moved you and then ask you to consider it what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul that's a question so heavy that you have to sit with it for a little while this is why sinners didn't have a problem with Jesus's ministry he didn't have the word of rebuke what he had was a word that brought their claimed values out in front of them and said you need to talk, think about what you're really trying to live by here you need to consider the deeper order of things and so I want to ask all of you this week to consider the deeper order of things particularly if you've been living under crushing stress I want you to identify in prayer every pressure point in your life and I want you to ask these four questions uh, do I know who I am because if I don't know who I am, I am the continuing victim of stress. Do I know who I'm trying to please? I can't please everybody, it's impossible. Even Jesus couldn't please everybody and he was God. Number three, what am I trying to accomplish in this 70 odd years of life that God has given me? What am I trying to accomplish? That is the goal that I will place in my before myself as I work and then lastly am I giving God my stress or am I giving it to him on a loan program where I give it to him for a little while and then I pick it back up I give it to him for a little while and then I pick it back up admittedly this is easier to preach than it is to live but this is how Jesus represented the way of heaven for all of us and so I challenge you today Let's apply this to coming out of the crushing nature of stress in our lives. Pray with me right now. Lord, I pray for every individual in this house. Don't let any of us leave here unstirred today. Don't let us leave here unchanged. Don't let us leave here trapped in the, a set of expectations that in some way is self-defeating because we don't even know who we're trying to be and we don't even know what we're trying to accomplish. Oh God, give us spiritual clarity. Let the lessons of your lived life that we read through the Gospels and we have as the witness and the testimony of apostles, let us embrace it. Let us wrap our heart and soul and spirit around it. Oh God, we desperately need you or we're going to be stuck with the same spirit of the age and we will have no testimony 
because there's no difference between no difference in stress between those who call upon the name of the Lord and those who don't. We must manifest your promise. We must have testimony to our world. We must be the light. Let us follow in the way you have shown. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.